millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. The Republic of Ireland remained unbeaten after seven games in a difficult World Cup qualifying group. A win at home to Serbia tomorrow night would send them to top spot with just two games remaining, one of which is going to be a walk in the park against Moldova. And yet, and yet something doesn't feel quite right about the state of the national team at the moment. Hi, Ken. Hi, Kieran. Hi, Owen. Hey, Owen. Hi, everybody. Sounds, sounds like you've got World Cup fever. And by that, I mean you've gone delirious. No, well, all, everything I've said is true there. 100% true. Right. What, what do you mean I've gone delirious? Just you may have misread the national mood somewhat. That's my well, no, I did. Concern. Well, no, I have said something doesn't feel quite right about this national team. What do you think doesn't feel right about it? Though? Well, I think it might be something to do with the fact that we just completed 418 fewer passes than the 122nd best team in the world. That seems to have punctured some of the optimism around things. 568 to 150, Murph. Have I captured the national mood for you now? <laughs> it wasn't even really... You're, you're, you're definitely warmer. Uh, yeah, yeah. It wasn't even quite the most depressing thing about that statistic because I thought the worst thing about it was that Moldova, or not Moldova, Georgia's uh, pass completion was, was 93%. So... Um, they completed nearly every pass. Ireland's was 79, which was more, you know, more what you'd expect. But it showed that we couldn't even put a foot on the ball, even just to knock it out of play. You know, we couldn't, we, we just couldn't get the ball off them. We were like a child playing against an adult, which, you know, is a, is a, is a, little, bit, uh, a little bit disappointing. Well, we did get the ball from time to time and then generally lumped it in the general direction of Shane Long. Mm. who got very little change out of the Georgian defence. Yeah. Then our midfielders trudged up slowly after Long, by which point the ball was gone anyway. Uh-huh. And not much <laughs> not, not much positive happened, really. You made the point that we have no game plan today in the Irish Times. We don't. I mean, how, what, how what do you think was the game plan? Well, in general, we must have some sort of game plan under Martin O'Neill, otherwise we wouldn't have had all these big results against better teams. I didn't see any evidence of it. Um, I didn't see any evidence of it against Georgia. Is it that we don't have a defined game plan against the supposedly weaker teams? More so because we have we've we've played well against Bosnia. We got the win at home against Germany, beat Italy, beat Austria away. There are some decent performances. Yeah, and yet you go to Georgia and get completely outclassed. Like well, we've usually beaten Georgia as well. To Just be fair, about. 
to be fair. Yeah, just about. Um, I just didn't really understand it. I mean, obviously, we were kind of kicking the ball along towards Shane Long. Mm-hmm. Why? You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, why don't you play Daryl Murphy? He's tall. If you're gonna do that, why don't you play Murphy and Long? Then you can actually maybe get the flick on as well as winning the <clears throat> as as well as winning the first. Yeah, ball. what what is Long supposed to do even if he does win a header? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's he's being asked to do something which is quite difficult. And and look, he's obviously not in tremendous form at the moment. You know, I mean, our chance missed by McLean. Remember his control, Long's control by the touchline. All the Georgians thought it was out. I mean, it did look that way. He took about four or five touches to get get the thing under control. You know, I mean, these are the <clears throat> these are the moments where you lose a fraction. You lose a fraction of time that makes the difference when you take four or five touches. So there was quite a lot of that all over the field. You know, there was there was players not really um, not very good players. That's true. Um, and this was was cruelly apparent. I mean, McLean's chance, you know, it wasn't the only chance he had, but the one he's 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 bursting into the box, balls on his left foot. What does he do? Terrible touch, you know. You can't take that touch at that position in the penalty area. You know what are you doing? Have a shot. Mm. Um, so that was bad execution. I mean, if 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 there were chances that we could have put away, we we made quite a lot of chances relative to the amount of possession we had, which was very little. Um, and we didn't have the quality to score them. But, you know, overall, when you look at the game, I, I just don't see what was the plan. I mean, Martin O'Neill's been the manager for, for nearly four years now. Where's the evidence of his the imprint that he's put in this team? Well, one place where you might expect to get some sort of an inkling of what the plan was supposed to be is the post-match television interview. He was speaking to Tony O'Donoghue, uh, with whom he's shared a few frosty encounters over the last few years, and this was another one. Well, I don't think there's a quick fix to it. You know, we have to try and do better with the ball. We've got one or two very, very decent players who probably didn't play well tonight. And can you put your finger on why that might have been? I can, yes. Yeah, of course I can. Are you going to share that with us? There's no point. Why? Why? Well, why would I want to share it with you? Well, I think people are interested in the national team and interested well, in a performance tonight that didn't give us the three points, so they'd want to know... Well, three points are hard to get. Oh, I know, I agree. Well, that's a, that's a good point for a start. Now, now I'm, I'm meaning I'm talking about a good point that we make, okay. not a point. So, what, I don't know what your point... Your, your I suppose point. The, the, the style and the brand of football well, that we play as well, people want to see us play good football. We have, in, in your era, played some great football at times. Well, thank you very much indeed. I really appreciate that. No, but I'm only asking you, on behalf of the public, what we can do between now and next Tuesday and for the rest of the campaign you know to be better. To We're going to try and win a game against Serbia, which is the most important thing. We're going to try and win the game. We're going to put... We're going to put heart and soul into the match on Tuesday night and we're going to try and beat a side who probably technically are better than us. That's what we're going to try and do. They won 3-0 tonight. They, uh, Tadic and Matic came off early, I suppose, with a view to Tuesday night. Probably, you know. They've got an advantage. They're playing the first game at home. That's the way it falls. Were you happy with the substitutions tonight? As you say, towards the end, there were chances to win that game. There you are. You just mentioned it yourself. Yeah, watching the interview live, it felt like it went on for around seven minutes. And then when I look back on the player today, it was only two minutes, 54 seconds. <laughs> it was just quite awkward. And you're just hoping it might draw to an end pretty soon. Why would I want to share it with you? The plan? Is that not fair enough from a manager? It's not necessarily his job to tell the public what exactly he had planned to do and what went wrong. He's got another game. By all accounts, a Serbian manager could be watching this post-match interview if there were a lot of details revealed. Well, I'll tell you where I watched the game on. Um, I watched the game in my parents' house. I didn't go to the game, as you know. Mm-hmm. I was in Las Vegas the previous week and felt well, that's quite a lot of traveling. I'll, I'll sit this one out. 
so I watched the game. It was my niece's first birthday party. Oh. So there was a lot of children there um, kind of running around making noise and that. I was in the living room watching this TV. I was watching it with, uh, with my wife, my sister, um, Irish Olympian Gavin Noble. Um, and my 10-year-old cousin, James. Just Irish Olympians just pop by the family home from time to yes. time? Okay, continue. Um, no further explanation required. Uh, I think my, my brother was in and out, but, you know, this was the... This was the Sergei Bubka was in making some tea <laughs> in the first side. Sorry, Ken. And uh, mainly it was just um, the, the women in the room going, this is so boring, I can't believe you have to watch this. This, this is just the worst thing I've ever seen. Are you serious? Is it always like this? And I was kind of like, no. I mean, this is this is this is not great. This is not this is not the best you know I've seen. Sometimes it is better. I mean, oftentimes games like this aren't, aren't too good. But you know, you're watching it, and, and obviously they scored. And it's like, oh, they've they've scored. And then it went on. Oh, sure, they've they've scored now. The other, the other team. Well, not to worry. Um, but of course, nothing happened. Meanwhile, my ten year old football obsessed cousin. Uh, dressed head to toe in football gear, <laughs> literally didn't watch a second of the game. He was playing some game on his iPad called Geometry Dash, uh, which was far more interesting to him than anything. I like it's. It was funny because he really likes football. I mean, he was running around with a football earlier. I played football with him in the back garden briefly yeah. until I got too tired earlier on. Uh, and so the game was on. He came in as the game was on, and I thought, well, he, he obviously is here to watch the game. I don't know if it even occurred to him to watch this game. It was just like why would I why would I do a thing like that? Did you spend five minutes before the game telling him about how out of love you're falling with international football? No. Okay. You I encouraged him. You were happy that, for him to that watch. That would it. turn a lot I of felt a off. certain I felt a certain pride seeing him sit down. I was like, oh look here, this this lad now is he's the future. Mm-hmm. Well, let's just say the future isn't interested by the looks of things, uh, and who could blame? Who could blame? So the Martin O'Neill owed it to your ten-year-old well, ne- nephew. Did you say? Cousin? Well, all I can say is that the whole the whole audience was pretty scared. I mean, at one point, an Irish player I won't say who it was. Um, the ball went off the field, and he and he picked it up and and like dried it in his shirt, revealing his midriff. Mm-hmm. And there was some scornful comments from the body fascists in the room about the condition of this footballer. Mm. Is he really in the? Is that is that really considered to be uh, top shape? Now, in fairness, there's an Olympic triathlete in the room. You know, there's. You know, we're talking about a high level of, of fitness. You were there, of course. I was there, but I'm not a professional athlete. You know what I mean? Oh, but you've got very high standards for your professional athletes. Yeah, well, I, I don't. I'm past the point of, of commenting on, on these things when I see them. But anyway, after all this, you know, obviously the game was good. And, and then they wanted to turn it off. And I said, no, no, I've got to see. I want to see, you know, what happens here. And um, and so, uh, you know, Didi Haman started saying, well, Didi Haman gave us some really long answer. And I was, you know, the way if you're watching a game with, or wa- watching anything with people who you, who you know don't like what they're seeing, <laughs> you kind of feel a bit, it's like, why? Didi's talking a long time here. But then uh, Martin O'Neill came on uh, and the interview started. And then after, then obviously it went like that. And they were all this, what is that guy's problem? What, like, what, what, what's wrong with that guy? Like, what's the issue there? They obviously hate each other. And I was like, well, no, they, I mean, they have had a few of those types of, uh, you know, little Exchanges. disagreements. Yeah. But no, I mean, I don't know. I don't know why he's behaving that way. I mean, it just struck me. If you're going to behave that way, you want to win a lot of games. You know, if you want to be if you want to be that guy, you better make sure you win most of the time. There are ways of telling a report in that situation. No, I'm not going to give you any information because I don't feel that it's for public consumption or something along those lines. But he didn't say that so we're left to 
He's, he, was he, just so, he, he must know he doesn't come across well on so those arrogant. Well, does he, though? Does he realise how badly he comes across? Because there's hundreds of thousands of people watching that. And he says to Tony O'Donoghue, he says to Tony O'Donoghue, oh, why would I want to share it with you? He's not talking to Tony O'Donoghue. Tony O'Donoghue's standing there with a the microphone. But the point is, all the people who are watching, that's who he's actually speaking to there. But he acts as though he's only speaking to Tony O'Donoghue. Sure, and, and, he's, yeah. and he's having this like chippy sort of, I don't know, I don't know why he reacts so badly to fairly innocuous questions. But... He better grasp the fact that that camera that's pointed in his face. It's not just. It's not just like Tony O'Donoghue has this friend that goes around with him holding this weird piece of equipment. Like there is a thing that's happening with that camera. It's beaming back an image of this conversa- conversation to hundreds of thousands of people who are looking at that going, "Jesus, Aaron O'Neill's a bit prickly today, isn't he?" Hundreds of thousands of people who probably generally don't get much insight from a manager after a game into what went wrong tactically. That's The manager's job is practically to not give that information away, but it's the, it's the manner in which they conduct themselves in those post-match interviews. It's not that hard to give very little away without getting so... So prickly. No, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just disrespectful. And you know, we talk about Guardiola doing it and, com- and complain about that. And I don't see why Martin O'Neill should get off doing the same thing. You know, you, you're not entitled to treat people like that. I'm so happy, believe me. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I mean, how arrogant is that when he, you know? But but O'Neill, I mean, at least Guardiola usually has won the match. You know what I mean? So in this, uh, I just, I just think it's. Um, it's poor. It's not the most important thing that happened, but maybe it is the most important thing in terms of Martin O'Neill's image among Ireland fans, actually, because that's really... In fact, that video will have been all... A lot of people will have seen of the game because you can watch the video on, on Twitter and it only takes a couple of minutes, but, like, the game, actually sitting through the game late summer Saturday, you know what I mean? People will see the interview, though, and that's why, you know, I think he needs to realise this This does only... Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know how Tony O'Donoghue feels about it. I imagine not that good, but... It, it's only doing damage to his image in the long term. O'Neill, that is. He needs to get his head around that. Poor Richie Sadler. I saw him tweeting. Interesting stroll into Croke Park being personally abused for Ireland's performance yesterday. So I'm not sure that's really fair to just start abusing the football pundits <laughs> for the performance of the national team. That's quite harsh. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to get him on again during the week to find out what was going on there. If you're not a member of the World Service, you won't have heard Richie's amazing interview with Ulster and Ireland Rugby International Andrew Trimble. This was from the latest episode of The Player's Chair. Here's a bit of their lengthy exchanges on faith. You know, I'm, I'm not walking around with a reverence caller. <laughs> you know, it's it's even that that question. I thought is like a perfect illustration of yeah. of how you know it would be seen elsewhere. That even by me asking whether other people are interested in speaking about it, I fall into the category of pigeonholing you as something other than something different than the rest. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm exactly the same as the rest of these lads. They don't see me as a, as a Christian or, or someone who's different to them. It's, it's not on my agenda to try and brainwash anyone or, or try and manipulate them into believing what I believe. These are just my mates. You know, I'm, I'm not anything different to the rest of these guys. I suppose you could describe that as a mildly combative exchange, but in a much more polite tone than what we just played. There was not a huge amount of rugby talk in this interview. Plenty on faith, lots on the difficulty that Trimble has in enjoying his rugby. So wound up does he get. But, but thinking about the about the game and thinking about how good he is or whether or not he's ever going to get found out. It's really good to hear that incredible interview and all Richie's players chair episodes of Fiverr Month Plus Fat will do it. It's nice and simple. All details are on secondcaptains.com. If you join up today, you can also jump into last week's fever debate between myself, Ken and Murph about the precise definition of what should and shouldn't be considered a volley 
in the great sport of association football. I've had a huge amount of Twitter support, by the way, Ken. It's only a volley when the ball is struck before it has hit the ground. Once it bounces, not a volley anymore. We move on. <laughs> <laughs> Ken is actually remaining silent. You're right, Ken. Leave for the World Service members to, to get stuck into it. Report on sport, please. No, I'm going straight back to it. <laughs> <laughs> the point is a volley is... is it's, it's called a volley in tennis because in tennis, the ball is not usually on the ground when you strike it most of the time, whereas in football, it is. In, in tennis, the word volley denotes a shot that has not bounced because a bounce is also an important part of tennis. It can only bounce once and then, then it's out of play. Um, whereas in football, it can bounce as many times as you want and it doesn't matter. Um, Sorry, it's, it's, a bounce is important in tennis. Is that, that's what you're saying? Yes. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm saying is that uh, a volley is a shot. Uh, they need a word for a shot that you hit. Um, they have one. They have before, they have, they have, before it's bounced. Why do they? Why do they necessarily? Need because a in football, word for that? in football, why don't want it just a shot? In football, um, the uh, in football, this is a, a name for a shot that you hit while the ball is in the air, not on the ground. Okay, it's always a tiny little bit in the air, I suppose. But, you know, in, in practical terms, the ball is frequently on the ground. So you need another word for what happens when you hit an so airborne ball. So a ball, say a ball takes a slight bobble. Mm-hmm. Really slight bobble, goes about a couple of inches in the air, and a player hits it into the top corner. You would consider that a volley, I suppose. That's a volley as well. Oh, my. I wouldn't, consider, I wouldn't consider it a volley. I mean, it won't be half a bobble. We've been notice. through this. Mark Hughes, Jeremy Goss. Yeah, Tony Boa, but if the bo- actually the most the most elegant definition, I I did look at some of the um, some of the uh, people on Twitter who were supporting you. Mm-hmm. You know, I clicked through. Were you surprised about the amount of support? Their profiles. Um, no, not a support. Yeah, I looked at I looked at a few of them. All right, um, but the most elegant definition I saw was somebody saying. It doesn't matter about the bounce. What matters is what's happening to the ball. If the ball is dropping, it's a volley. If the ball is rising, it's a half volley. And actually, that's usually true. I mean, there's a, there's a slight gray area there. If a ball bounces high up enough, is it can it still be a half volley? Because I consider a half volley to be a shot that you hit on the bounce. But that's the only part that we agreed on. Murphy has other ideas about what a half volley is. Oh, right. What, what's this? No, remember, no, this is from last week. I don't think we need to really. No, we have just done. Yeah. I think well, I, I, was surprised already... at, I was surprised at how it captured the imagination. That was called a tease. I was teasing non-World Service members into becoming World Service members. They've oh. just heard the whole bloody conversation again. Yeah. Oh. Well, where, where are we now? Um, listen, okay. the Trimble interview was great anyway. Go and become a member to listen to that. <laughs> so so there we are. Um, we had no... Uh, it's, it seemed to me we had no plan. Uh, once again, our best player, in my opinion, is on the bench. See, this is why if you can't talk about, if you're talking about, uh, we don't have the talent. And I think that is a, that is an opinion that a lot of our managers end up believing, you know. Trapattoni certainly did. Is Martin O'Neill on the way there? Well, time will tell. But, you know, it is, it, it can seem like too big a job. It's like, who could possibly get these guys and, you know, create a winning international team out of, out of this raw material? But the problem is when you leave somebody like Kudan on the bench, who is our best player. I mean, he's he's certainly the best player on the ball, and that's kind of what we needed against somebody who was good on the ball. When you leave him out, it's kind of well, we don't know now, do we? Don't we? We haven't really seen um, what our most skillful, what we might have been able to do if we'd had our most skillful player as well. You still have Robbie Brady in there, though. Can I sort of understand? You still have Harry Archer in there. These guys are decent ball players. Archer in particular, and I thought his attitude afterwards was interesting. He said. International football is a different sort of game. Not having the ball isn't what I'm used to, but it's something I need to get used to now. 
It was a different environment, one that I've got to try to get to grips with better than I did tonight. There's work to do off the ball, which is a lot harder and more demanding. Mm. So all that's fair enough and, and very honest from Harry Arter, but mm. why isn't he saying, I'm going to start getting on the ball more and bending the game to my will and playing some football here, rather than immediately, very quickly into his international career, coming to the conclusion that, oh, well, I'm playing in a long ball team and that's that. Well, Harry Arter was doing a lot of shouting on the field before he got taken off. Um which, and he was the first man taken off. I thought he was a bit unlucky. He didn't play that well, but come on. You know, um, Whelan was the second man off. Once again, you know, Whelan, I wouldn't say the goal was all his fault, but it did, as 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 often, go through his little area. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know what his area is. It's the area immediately in front of our central defenders. His area certainly isn't anywhere else in the field because he doesn't really go into the other half anymore. You know, he doesn't have to... He doesn't run up there because what do you have to do once you do that? Run back. Mm. Yeah. Um, so he tends to stay in that little area, but the, when the ball goes through there and you see him diving, missing the ball, uh, and they score, you think to yourself, are we getting enough out of you for the place that you're occupying in the team for the 82nd time, the, making him the all-time most capped Irish central midfielder? Is he that good? You know, this is the guy we were being told last week didn't get enough credit, and the reason is that he always turns up. You know? Well, I mean... We can all see it. We all know what's we we, we we you know. There's nothing more we can say about this. You know, it's been the same stuff for years. Well, what about Arthur? We can say more about Arthur. He's only been there a few games, but if, Arthur's a good player. But I so why can't he impose himself? Why can't Robbie Brady impose himself? They didn't play well. I do think that they're good players. So yeah. I mean, I would I persevere with these players. Maybe well, change other elements of the formula. Oh, certainly persevere with them, but they've got to take a certain amount of responsibility out there as well. This idea that they're being told they're not allowed to pass the ball. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. There's an email here, actually, which is it, it does get to the heart of what exactly these guys are being told or aren't. It's from Jude Flynn, who emails editor at secondcaptains.com and says, Love the show, guys. One question. Does anyone know whether O'Neill is persisting with his tendency to name his team to his squad as late and as ambiguously as possible? Because if so, that would explain a lot. Hendrick as attacking midfielder versus Austria and Brady in the same position versus Georgia stick out in my mind as players who looked like they had no idea what their brief was. The same impression can be extended to Arthur and Brady versus Georgia on Saturday. The reason I ask is that I recall McGeady recounting his selection in the problem position as an attacking midfielder for Ireland versus Germany away. This is what McGeady said. The manager didn't actually say much, to be honest with you. He kind of just read out the team and we were trying to figure out where everyone was playing. When he read the team out, a few of the lads were saying, are you playing off the striker? And I was like, I think I could be. <laughs> my, my question is, this is back to, was it Jude, did I say, or June? It was Jude Flynn, yeah. Uh, sorry, Jude. My question is, in a game where systems are becoming ever more important, why on earth would you utilise the element of surprise on your own players? Because Martin O'Neill comes from the era of football, which is before systems. Um, he is from an era of football where the men, men were men and men got on with things, you know? football players and Neil Lennon was talking about him just during the week there and uh, it was like doesn't you know there wasn't any he's not he's not a guy a guy who sits in and explains everything he trusts you you know he trusts you he wants you to trust what he tells you and then he trusts you to get the job done so he'd describe how it was at Celtic you know uh, you Lenny you know you're in the middle um, you you do the left you do the right you lads head it away when it comes in the box you know that kind of stuff these type of instructions, and then, and then the idea is that these are these are grown men. They're they're seasoned professionals. You know, for in the Ireland team, they're international players. They've played in some cases hundreds of games. In some cases, almost hundreds of internationals. You know, so there is an argument there that they don't need to be told how to do their jobs. They should know that. 
They should know how to do their jobs. Um, you, would, you would call that empowering the players in other circles. Empowering the players, but sometimes you need to. You also need to create a structure in which to empower them. Think of it a, a little bit like this. Uh, you know, you used to have a. Uh, sometimes one village and, an, and a neighboring village would, would have a rivalry. Uh, and maybe on a particularly hot summer's day, um, some young men from one village would go out and taunt young men from the other village. And they'd end up fighting over something, and, and then it would turn into a big fight. And then people from either village would join in, and there'd be a huge fight, and, and there was some kind of idea of uh, getting into the other person's village and torching that village. Okay. So if you fought your way through the fields and the hedges into the enemy village and set it alight, you had won the game. Okay. Now, imagine the same basic concept, except you're going to do it on a field which is about 110 meters long by six, 70 meters wide, um, center circle, two boxes, penalty areas, goals at either end. Yeah. A kind of a, like an abstract rec representation of a faction fight mm. uh, with rules in order to oppose some structure on the mayhem. Because, you know, you're talking these things, while they were enjoyable for 95% of participants, some people will get injured, and of course, a village will get burned. A couple of bad apples in there as well. So, you know, it's the kind of thing that could, it could get out of hand, it could spiral out of hand. So what we did is, we'll take that, we'll try and harness the good elements of that, but we'll impose a structure which Let's enables us to do it over and over again without causing massive destruction. To you, do you follow me? Yeah, less, less flames, more leather footballs. Yeah. So the idea is that empower the players, yes, but also give them some general principles as to what exactly it is they're meant to be trying to achieve together because they do have to work together in order to get results in this, in this game. I mean, this is a more complicated game, I think, than it used to be. It's like, look... I mean, Gaelic football is a lot more complicated than it used to be, right? Yeah. What's the main reason for that? Everybody people, are, people are spending a bit more time looking at their strengths and weaknesses and their uh, opponent's strengths and weaknesses. But I think they started to do that in response to a change which happened in the game, which is that suddenly everybody's able to run twice as far as they were before. My God, everybody's running around. Mm. This gives us possibilities that didn't exist before. You know? Yeah. You can run from one end of the field to the other and then still be back in your own half. Hmm. Does this change things? Is it time to sort of meddle with the ancient principles of Gaelic football? And is it actually a more complicated game than we've been giving it credit for? Or does it have that, you know? And so all the Ulster teams started introducing coaching and tactics, mm. causing, you know, annoyance, uproar from traditionists. But they recognized that this had changed. There had been changes. And there have been changes in football, I think, since Martin O'Neill, uh, certainly since he was a player and since he was a very successful manager with Celtic, things have changed and the game has become much more collectivized. And if you're not playing some version of that game, it's going to be difficult for you to compete against teams that are, even if the teams aren't very good, like Georgia. Yeah, and even on a, a, the most basic level imaginable, it is quite hard to empower your players when the players don't know which 11 need to be empowered up until 45 minutes before kickoff. Uh, you know, some of them would be more used to that than others. I mean, some of them, I'm sure, have managers who announced the team late like that. And, okay, that's just the way it is. But the thing is that it, it's not as though the Irish players lack the ability to play in different tactical systems. That used to be a thing that was said 20 years ago. Oh, they could do a player's going to play 4 for 2 mm. They can't understand anything else. They play 4 for 2 and that's all they can do. Uh, now they play in, in Premier League teams many of them in different positions for the same team. They have different tactical setups that they go into depending on the game state. You know, um, 
they're used to this kind of thing. This is part of being a professional footballer in, in 2017. But, you know, again, these are all things that have been worked on. All the, it's, not, it's not like they just say, right, you know, let's go 4-3-3, and everybody immediately knows what to do. You have to work on it. Okay, there isn't, that, there isn't as much time to work with these players. That's, that's true. Game to game, an international manager gets a couple of days. You know, it doesn't mean... I just don't know what, what's been happening over the last few years. First really bad result, though. That's the first really bad result we've had in this campaign. Yeah. The, the other draws were respectable enough, generally, against... Well, uh, I, mean, I think, I think the home draws... Like, I think the home draws against Wales and Austria were bad results, you know? They, they're, they're, the, they're results that allow... That, that mean that you're... The, the win away to... Vienna and uh, the uh, way to Austria and the draw in Serbia to a slightly lesser extent were good results that put us in a great position we kind of wasted that momentum with the Wales and Austria failing to put them away at home and then last night we've kind of given it right back to Wales Wales who by the way seem to be on an absolute um, you know because they they, they they went into a bit of a slump after the Euros and now they're just absolutely back and they have this like golden god in the form of Ben Woodburn. You know, this guy, like the 17-year-old, scores an amazing goal. Everybody is suddenly excited again. And I think fully confident. I mean, they, they assume they're going to beat us when we go there. And even if they don't beat us, they'll still finish ahead of us if we can't beat Serbia, in all likelihood. Wales also have to play Georgia away, so who knows? Maybe something could go wrong for them there. But they would fancy themselves to win all three of their remaining matches, in which case, the only way we finish ahead of them is by beating Serbia, and even then, I don't know if we finish ahead of them. I'm not saying we're marching relentlessly through this group or anything, and it was a terrible performance and a bad result on Saturday night, but we found a way to get through a lot of the group games with reasonable results, one excellent result, and quite a few reasonable ones. It just seems like a lot of the analysis today and yesterday it sounds like the analysis that normally takes place after a team has come fourth in a group or something. And Maybe that's just gone. what we expect to happen now. I mean, there it is. Does, a... Yeah, it does seem that that's how downbeat everyone is, that there's no chance against mm. Serbia. But Serbia are no, no great shakes either, are they? They're not a. You know, Serbia are not a really strong team, no, but they're they're okay. They've got some better players, I guess, than we have. I mean, Martin don't listen to me, listen to our manager, Martin O'Neill. You know, he said they've got some really talented players playing for big clubs, which we don't really have. Was this, this today's press conference, was it? Was yeah, it but, he, but he also was saying it after, you know, we, we heard a bit of it when he was saying to Tony, you know, they're a very talented side. You know, basically, they're better than us. We're going to try and beat them, but they're better than us, make no mistake. And maybe we're going to have enough heart and soul to overcome them, but they are better than us. You know, he, le he left nobody in any doubt, player for player. You know, they, they are better at football. That doesn't mean that they win the, the match on any given day i mean that's kind of one of the interesting things about football is weird things can happen but it will take something a little bit weird and i think it will especially take something a bit weird if ireland do anything like they did against georgia where they didn't really seem to know what they're doing i hope they've got a better idea because i'm sure serbia do i'm sure serbia have got some some notion despite their you know the talent that they can luxuriate in by comparison to us Northern Ireland also having a good time, just lastly, in the reporting sport. Well, Northern Ireland just needs to draw with the Czech Republic, and they're, they've sealed second in their group. So here they are, qualifying probably for consecutive tournaments. Um, and <laughs> Michael O'Neill saying stuff like, oh, we got our customary 15 seconds on Football Focus, which we were delighted with. <laughs> um, ah, come on, they've had pretty good press over the last year or two, no? Not the kind of press they... That would really be important to them, I think, Owen. <laughs> Lots of people have been picking them up, but 
not the people that matter most. You know, BBC television, football focus. Not enough has been seen about Northern Ireland there. Plenty in, I don't know, Norwegian indie football mag, Yossimar. Eight pages and pages and pages of coverage of Northern Ireland. But, you know, is that what they, uh, is that the mirror they want to see themselves reflected in? Was I think Mark not. O'Neill not beaming widely at the Sports Personality of the Year Awards last year? Is that not even Martin bigger than Football Focus? Martin and Michael. Yeah, yeah, but both of them were, yeah. Again, I'm not sure the Orti Sports Personality of the Year Awards. No, the BBC one I'm talking about. Ah, the I'm BBC one. I'm pretty sure Michael one. O'Neill was... Because it was, wasn't it in Belfast this year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael O'Neill was. You'd assume the, the BBC spotty would be, you know... Enough. Yeah, but you know, maybe that's the difference. Maybe that's, maybe that's, the, that's what you get with guys who just can't stop qualifying for tournaments. You know, they're never happy. You know, he just wants more all the time. So uh, I think that might be what's going on. That's it for today's Sport and Sport. And Randolph sends it long. That's his tight outside. Shane Long's in behind the defence. Shane Long against Moyer. Porté par un public en liesse, l'Irlande peut croire à l'exploit grâce à son super sub, Shane Long. Shane Long. Bah. What a moment. Shane Long. Harlan take the lead. Did you get a chat with anyone at the press conference today? I spoke to uh, Dion Fanning of Joe afterwards and uh, we had a chat about the game the press conference and I guess the first thing I asked him was for his considered verdict on mature reflection after the uh, of, of what had gone on in uh, in Georgia two nights previously same as it probably was looking at it on Saturday uh, bad Irish performance the absence of Wes Houlihan being the, being the the big question you know the big talking point um, but also I didn't really share this idea that this was something extraordinarily bad, that it was shocking that what, what, what we were watching because Ireland play like that. Mm. Uh, and they, they, they play like that so often um, when Wes Hoolan isn't involved, it, it's sort of the norm. And sometimes they get, a, they get a goal that, you know, they get a winning goal that kind of makes people overlook the flaws, but it's kind of just a standard Irish performance. Mm. Uh, under O'Neill, um, you know, under Trapattoni, it's... it's you know, the manager could do more, but it's still, it's still, um, it's something that predates him as well. Yeah, I mean, I always remember talking to Damien Duff about this, and he, and and one of the things he was frustrated about was that people just assume that, you know, when they hear the name of a country like Georgia, you know, it's not Germany, Spain, Italy, um, and his opinion was, well, it's like the the fans just think, oh yeah, we should win this game five 0 but they don't realise that these are difficult games, and you know, maybe. Um, is there a sense that this you know, the the difficulty of the game is underrated? That they actually played better than people are giving them credit for? Ireland, that is. Uh, no, I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't say that. I'd say maybe we 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 tend to forget how bad we are. Mm. Uh, um, like that's that's something that might maybe get overlooked gets overlooked, and you think, right, Ireland should be better than Georgia. Maybe they should be, but again, like this is something everybody is familiar with from watching Ireland against anybody, against Macedonia, against loads of teams. Uh, 
Armenia, these teams where you 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 know now Armenia would have had someone like Mkhitaryan in in their team, so like actually improves it, kind of transforms it. But these games where you play, and the other side is a technically gifted side who, with with players who can play, and Ireland are kind of chasing around trying to figure out what they're trying to do. It d- does make it you know. Uh, inexcusable that the one Irish player who can actually get on the ball and make things happen isn't involved, isn't used at all. Mm. Um, but I don't think... Uh, I think maybe there is a, a sense of... I don't, I don't, think, I don't think... Like O'Neill said on, on, after the game, he said something about, like... Uh, he talked something about, you know, maybe it's, you know, international football, it's a step up again. Use that kind of old old line about international football. It's not the 80s, like. It's not the 80s. No international, international football is a step down. It is a step down. But maybe it's not a step down necessarily for the Irish players. Like everyone says, you know, they play in the Premier League and they do, but they play against teams, you know, the, the top teams they're playing against the Premier League are usually beating the teams that Irish players are in. Mm. Uh, now, again, you would say that it's, it's, it's better than most international football. Um, but also, I think that's why... You can never, you can never expect too much from an Ireland from an Ireland team. But also, there's really very little to fear from anybody, and I would include Serbia in that. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, listening to O'Neill today, um, he's 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 kind of summoning past past Irish performances. But I think also the fact that there is no there are no outstanding teams in international football again. Uh, the, the the idea of there being no easy games in international football. There's no really difficult games either. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, though. It, it kind of feels as though for the first time under... Uh, for the first time since Martin O'Neill has taken over that we're kind of back to the way that it was in the second half of Trapattoni's time uh, where there's a sense that, well, look, we're not that good. What do you expect? But we, we, were, really... we were there during the first half of Martin O'Neill's time, too, when we lost... Like he, again, he referenced it when we lost in Scotland when we drew at home. Mm. Uh, even at that stage, going into that summer before Scotland lost in Georgia, there was a, again that sense of we're not that good. The reason that keeps coming up is because we're not that good. Mm. That's why people always end up saying that. Um, but I agree with you. Actually, if you ask me, the one thing that's probably changed in my thinking from Saturday night to to, to like to you know Monday is on Saturday I was like, this is this is we have reached that point with with this Ireland team. It's uh, it's. You know, they're running it. You know, no ideas. Maybe Wes is. Maybe he is too old to make a difference now. Um, well, I mean, let him let him show that he's too yeah, old. Yeah, well, no, absolutely. But I'm saying that this idea that we're actually reaching it, reaching the end point, and it and it's hopeless. I now think, oh, they could beat Serbia because because of all because of all those times. It's the one thing O'Neill has been good at, really good at as Ireland manager, is getting uh, performances on big nights, and it's a thing that he. He's brought back, and, and you know, he deserves some credit for that. He's, you know, a great credit for that. He's brought that back to Irish football, which wasn't there. You can actually point to some big nights and some great performances and things that people will remember, mm. which are, which have been, you know, that's been wiped like under the trap era. Like apart mm. from Paris, uh, that just didn't ha- that didn't happen. Yeah. So that was that is something. You know, Germany, Bosnia. Uh, Italy, those those uh, and winning in Vienna, which is a huge performance. So those things have happened, and I think that's the basis. You could say, right, something would happen. Also, Serbia, they're they're not a brilliant side. Like mm. they're they're technically better than us, but everyone's technically better than us. Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if if Ireland won. Well, I, I do sometimes wonder as well if if we're necessarily as bad as we 
think we are because it, se- it seems to me as though okay it's like every time every time we play and, and get a disappointing result we're, we're saying we end up saying well they're technically a good side you know in Georgia we're technically better than Ireland true and and like every single game we play almost you know apart from you know Gibraltar San Marino Liechtenstein these types of games we kind of now expect the opponent to be technically better than we are but I do wonder how much of that has to do with like um giving Glenn Whelan 82 caps. I mean, he's not technically, he's <clears throat> he's not a gifted player. You know, whatever qualities he has, you wouldn't include um, great skills yeah. uh, among the skills that he has. And if you just keep picking these players, as opposed to looking at the other alternatives, 82 caps, so I think he's the most capped ever central midfield player for Ireland. Uh, so it seems as though we don't know if we've got anyone better. Well, I, I, I think there is a case we made for actually kind of almost approaching international football as if you're you're actually just designing a team to play international football. You're not saying, you know, as everyone always says with Glenn Whedon, look at all the managers who've picked him. They must, they, they're, you know, they must know something. Look at all the managers who've dropped Wes Houlihan. They must know something. Uh, whereas international football is kind of a, it's a sort of a different sport to the like league you know Premier League football or you know anything it's just not, you needed players who can do the things that the Georgian players do do you know technically gifted players who can probably just make something happen because there are enough weaknesses in every side mm. that that would be seem to be the things worth emphasizing. Mm. Um, we don't do that. I don't. I think. I think if you want to like. If it doesn't, you know, again, like if 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 Ireland mess it up from this position, you can again have a long conversation about what should be happening in Irish football. And I think, like I've, I've you know, I I think no matter what what's hap- whatever happens with O'Neill, I don't think they, you know, the the way Ireland the FAI go about searching for managers and and bringing managers in and parachuting managers in is is worth it for from the from the long term long term point of view of of Irish football. O'Neill comes in after the Georgia game. You know he said and he said it again today. He's talking about uh, you know there's not a lot we can do in the time available to us, and he's talking about Saturday Tuesday. I actually think he's also talking in a strange way he's talking about there's a lot, not a lot he can do in, in the, the time, time available, available to him as a manager, as a manager. Mm. now he's been there a long time now and maybe he you know he he should be doing more about it than he is but it is a huge it is a huge job that involves some kind of joined up re- revolutionary thinking and uh that is that doesn't happen when the senior team is right let's let's you know, if this doesn't work, let's go out and see who else is available as a manager. Mm. Let's see if let's get Harry Redknapp as a manager. Let's do something. Yeah. Let's get a name in and get somebody from a culture which is right. These guys are doing well in England. Let's get the player, Premier League players in. Let's do this rather than saying, well, actually, have we got coaches here who have seen our players at underage setup who think right? Actually, if you're putting together a team that you want to to do well in international football, you would get these players from from this club or you get this player from mm. here. And and do it differently. Like it's it's uh, it's worth considering. Now, having said all that, O'Neill will say he qualified for the European Championships, which is which is, I suppose, his job description. Which is completely yeah. his job description. Yeah. But you also don't hire Martin O'Neill for anything other than that. Mm. Like this is the thing. When 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 Trap left, it was like let's see if Martin O'Neill is available. This is great. Then the dream dream ticket came up. Like what does. What has Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane done as a kind of dream ticket mm. that is so is so dreamy? Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, what does Roy Keane do? Um, but also, like, look at what Martin O'Neill does as a manager. 
and this isn't this isn't a criticism at all. You hire Martin O'Neill if you want to win football, if you want to win matches match straight to away. Match to match. Match, that's what he's always been about. Mm. And I don't think actually I think that's pretty admirable in some ways because you can make a really strong case for that. And O'Neill would make a really strong case that you know this when he's when he's disparaging about other managers when he used to kind of criticise Van Hal and people like this. It was always about projects and plans and yeah, all this. Yeah. Whereas he is putting himself in the firing line game by game Mm. and that's fine but if you're actually looking for something bigger that's not the manager you appoint no why do you think it is so intractable in Ireland though because you know in in instance we've been speaking about this situation for 20 years I mean as long as I've been doing this job people have been talking about you know getting young players through and you know the technical level of Irish players and you know you know, it, it doesn't really seem like it changes. It's strange because you can see, for instance, a country like Germany, which is 20 times the size of Ireland almost, um, and they they somehow have been able to, in the in the time period I'm talking about, since the, you know, Euro 2000, they've been able to say, okay, we've got a few problems. We've lost the technology to make skillful footballers. We need to figure out how to do that again. Told all the clubs, right, this is what you're going to do. Overhaul the whole system. And, you know, seeing a generation of players come through with superior skills and won the World Cup. And this has all happened, you know, since. This has all happened in the same period. And, and in Ireland, I just don't see that it's... I mean, as, as we, you know, people have been talking recently about the under-21 team um, has got a, a very high proportion of players who were born in England. You know, again, which is, you know, which is great. It's great that people, that 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 you know, the children of, of Irish immigrants still want to play for mm-hmm. Ireland. Uh, but you know, in the sense that you might have expected there to be, uh, there to be, it, it doesn't seem as though players born in Ireland are necessarily that there's a great generation of them coming through. It just seems to be an impractical problem for a small country like ours. We should surely be able to organise ourselves easier than Germany, but it seems to be the opposite. Well, I think. There are loads of, there are so many different reasons that, again, you can't, certainly not Martin O'Neill's responsibility, it's probably even beyond one administration in the FAI to solve it, whether they have the appetite or not, I don't know. But you look at, look at, uh, you look at the difficulties even in Rude Doctor implementing his, uh, what's it, whatever it was called, National Development Plan or whatever, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but, you know, you look at the, you know, the, the problems like a club like St Kevin's who feels ex- who feel excluded from that um, League of Ireland clubs being given the uh, given the, the green light to be the the uh, places where academies and young players are developed even though uh, and Richie Sadler wrote about this in the Irish Times at the weekend even though they're not really there's no there's no track record of that maybe in the long term people will say that this was the right thing to do and there's a logic to what they say they want to do but what what what's the what's the price of that? Um, like, who wears the evidence of the people now being entrusted with this or can can do it? Um, and all in the background, you always have this sense with Irish football. There are various different territories being fought over. Um, does, does anybody have the power, like they had in Germany, to actually step in and say this is what we're doing? Um, we're now controlling all of it. When when it has gone, and when there are so many different. Uh, Authorities and jurisdictions in mm. in Irish football that makes that harder to uh, to um, to 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 kind of to to achieve. And I think this is the problem. It's, it's very like the Irish football 
family is a is a very small kind of group in in the end of the day, and they have these kind of long they've long memories, mm. and uh, you know they they've all a lot of a lot of the key people involved in 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 football in this country have grown up kind of around around the same areas and the same places, and it's always been a kind of you know try and try and get ahead, try and do the best for your for your club for your league that kind of stuff, and. I think if you were really again maybe like the League of Ireland itself if you were if you were really being radical you would say right let's let's do start again mm. and do the whole thing again mm. and see what's the best way of getting players in what's the best like who should be in control of this who should be in charge of this but it it's 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 it may be impossible to do but it's it's a it would be a huge job to do it. yeah um just finally uh, optimistic about tomorrow night hugely optimistic about tomorrow night and the future of Irish football no i think ireland could win tomorrow i i really do um i don't have any evidence uh, to base that on just it's a football game it's these things happen game and you know it's happened before yeah okay well dion thanks a million for talking to us about all that today thanks ken that was an interesting point dion made about their the old cliche being there's no easy matches in international football. The reality in 2017 being there are no really, really hard ones either. <laughs> They're not necessarily... We saw Luxembourg. Ones. Luxembourg drew with France. Yeah. You know, just, just the other day, this French team, which has got all, like a collection of the most expensive players in the world. So Serbia is a winnable match is what we're saying. Well, yeah. Because, I mean, it, I was fooled on. Yeah. I was hoodwinked by Martin O'Neill into thinking that, well, sure, Serbia didn't... Have, they haven't won the World Cup. You know, not yet. But that they are one of the you know the top tier nations that you're looking at, or you know maybe they're they maybe they've got an intimidating FIFA World Ranking. They're forty second. We're twenty ninth. Not entirely sure that we should be running in fear of Serbia at home yeah. uh, in a game that we have to win. I mean, this is. I mean, obviously we are right to fear Serbia because of how badly we played on Saturday. But uh, at some stage you have to say we were so far below our standards on Saturday that maybe there's a chance we can be slightly better than we expected. Why can't, why can't we play as well as we played against Bosnia well, at the home? Thing, the thing we'd, to beat, we'd, we'd beat Serbia with that performance I if, we could do, if we could pull that off. Serbia have a low world ranking at the moment but that has a lot to do with the fact that they had an utterly disastrous qualification campaign for Euro 2016 which involved them getting uh, matches being abandoned, points being docked. You know, they lost everybody. They, they, remember there was a drone? There was like a drone flying the... Yeah. Flying either the Albanian or Serbian flag, I can't remember. This insulting drone disturbed one of the matches. I think the Albania, uh, Serbia Albania match in in Belgrade, uh, and and was trolling either the Serbian or Albanian fans. I can't remember I'm which. Pretty sure it was an Albanian flag. An Albanian flag, like the drone had a flag and was going around just trolling everybody. Like just no, nobody could do anything. People were trying to pelt it, like with whatever came to hand, and the match had to be abandoned. Maybe a drone is something we could think about. Maybe. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, Serbia ended up losing the match, uh, or, or being uh, the the match was awarded to Albania. So I don't know if we can study how that happened and create some type of insulting drone to to tap into that 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 fiery Serbian temper that we all now know about. That's a game plan. Yeah, yeah. that would that would uh, that would have people uh, eagerly scanning the skies at least uh, <laughs> to see. Uh, might just transpire. We'll have a football podcast on Wednesday for you if you are part of the World Service. No more debates about volleys, but we will 
I can't actually promise there'll be no more debates about Scotland. But we well, will. Prom- I mean, what if Stephen Ward scores a goal as good as the goal? Yes, of course. It depends what happens in the game. That is that yeah. is very true. Yeah. yeah, we will have. We'll deliver you the post-match analysis on the World Service secondcaptains.com for details on how to join. As mentioned earlier, thanks very much, Ken. Thanks Thank very much. You Thank you, Thank you, Owen. We'll care. talk to you again tomorrow. Bye. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. <laughs>